Support for Speaking of Travel comes from Asheville Regional Airport, Western North Carolina's gateway to the world. Your safety when traveling to and from Asheville is, and always will be, our top priority. Visit flyavl.com for all your current travel information. Prestige Subaru, offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive Subarus, built with the zero landfill promise. All waste is recycled or reused. With more at PrestigeSubaru.com. Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, an award-winning tour showcasing Asheville's spectacular rooftop views and fascinating city history. Enjoy handcrafted drinks and delicious food with reserved seating and transportation included. Visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. RomanticAsheville.com. Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting RomanticAsheville.com. And by Home Trust Bank. Dream travel requires smart financial planning. Get ready for what's next with a local banking partner you can trust. Dream big with Home Trust Bank. Visit htb.com. Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required. Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and on all your favorite podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and links to stories from people who are in search of beauty and hope throughout the world. My guest today went out in search of wisdom from the ancient myths of Greece to find out if we're missing something in the way we're living our lives today. Peter Fine's journeyed around Greece, inspired by the sights of some of the most famous Greek myths, to explore if it's possible to find beauty and hope when things seem off-balanced and dire. And Peter, welcome to Speaking of Travel. It's so great to have you here today. Hello, it's lovely to be here. So, Peter, I am mesmerized by this book uh, that you just came out, A Thing of Beauty, Travels in Mythical and Modern Greece. And you wrote this book during the time of COVID. And I'm really curious, like, what was going on in your mind that this was something you needed to do at this particularly odd time in our lives? Yeah, it's been a very, very odd and distressing time for so many of us. And uh, it's, a, it's a strange time to be writing the book, but I um, I had planned it before COVID struck. So I had this idea for the book that I wanted to go to Greece and visit the sites of some of the most famous myths to see if there was anything that they could tell us about uh, our current e- environmental 
kind of ecological predicament. And uh, I thought surely the Greeks, who have so much to say about everything, the ancient Greeks, that have something to say about this. Um, and then so I was planning the book and, and I got to Byron's home in Newstead Abbey in Nottinghamshire, where he lived before he left England for good. And uh, I found myself making a kind of distressing list of all the things um, that were most upsetting that were going on in the world. But at that time, I couldn't actually get to Greece. Uh, so I found myself marooned in England, unable to travel. And this happened to me quite often. I, I get close to going and then, you know, restrictions would happen again. So I was doing more and more research and I was at my desk more and more and I was on Zoom all the time, but I couldn't actually get to Greece. And then... And then you did. So what happened? It was like suddenly the window opened up and you were on a plane and you were on your way? Yeah, suddenly a window opened and I, I dived through it. The, it was hard to get there. And of course, it, you know, it was a time of restrictions, but Greece was less badly affected than, than we were in the UK, um, although they had more restrictions in place in terms of mask wearing and everything. So it was a strange time to be there. It was an amazing time to be there in some ways because... I was going to all the ancient sites, went to Mycenae, uh, Epidavros, and there was almost no one there. It was bizarre. There were very few travellers, very few from the States. There were travellers from Germany and France and me um, pottering around these most beautiful, awe-inspiring places, um, which I had almost to myself, trying to pick up um, resonances from the past, I suppose, and seeing if they could be applied to our, to our current state. Well, had you had you been to Greece before? Was this someplace you had traveled in the past? I do know Greece. I, I didn't know it brilliantly well. I know some of the islands. I, start, I first went when I was 14. I'm 58 now. So I went uh, to Naxos for the first time. I've been to Crete. So I've been to the islands a bit, but I'd never traveled in the mainland. And um, because time suddenly concertinaed for me and became much shorter than I'd planned, uh, I ended up decided to spend all my time on the mainland particularly in the Peloponnese, which is where m many of the myths are set. So um, I did know Greece, and I, but I mean, no one can know Greece brilliantly unless you're prepared to travel for years and years. It's such a, it's a small country. It's amazingly small when you consider its influence, but it's, it's packed full of detail because its geography is so uh, extreme, I suppose. There's so many valleys, so many mountains. It's why so many city-states um, grew up there because they're all separated from one another even though they're extremely close to one another. So it's an amazingly rich country um, with, as I'm sure you know, some of the most beautiful beaches and most wonderful food. But your focus was really on this mythology and trying to find the answers, perhaps, of what the gods were thinking, what, what some of this mythology uh, looks like, perhaps in today's time, and if you could find some answers, what even got you thinking that that could be a tie-in? Yes, it seems a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? The incredible thing about the myths, I, mean, I knew them well when I was young as a child, I read them all the time, and then I discovered the, um, the writing of Mary Renault, who, who kind of brought the myths to life by explaining what they might have been. Um, so, um, but they just, uh, yeah, it seems a bit of a stretch. And of course, many of the myths don't seem to have much relevance to, to, what, uh, to our current lives. But the myths are slippery. They change all the time. So there are many versions of every myth, and that's quite reassuring in a way. Uh, you can't really get it wrong. And, and often those, those myths, you know, you would find that uh, the way we interpret them today 
is uh, very different from they would have interpreted them then. And I think every generation has its own versions of the myths in a way. So it was, it was um, in some ways easy to, to kind of wrench them around to look at, did they have a kind of environmental message, which is the main thing I was looking for. I, I wanted to know if there's anything they could say about our current predicament. And I suppose one of the questions I asked was, you know, if they'd um, possessed our technologies, everything that we have, was there anything in their myths or stories that would have stopped them from doing what we've done to our planet? Are there kind of messages in the myths that, that um, would have held them back? They had the most appalling deforestation in their time as well. Clearly, they, you know, they around Athens was once covered in forest. Plato writes about this, and, and then they were bare hills even in his time. And the rivers ran dry. They had a kind of deep ecological message there that um, if you cut down the forest, the rivers will stop flowing, the rain will stop coming. And, and so there's a real wisdom in there that um, connects with our time, reassuring that it does in a way. I would imagine. I'm curious, though, because it, Greece just recently had these horrible fires. Were mm. you there when that was all happening? I was there um, mostly um, October, November time. So the fires had more or less died out by then. They had the most terrible fires. Um, and the ancient Greeks and their myths write about fires. Of course they do. Uh, and they, you know, they have messages about nothing in excess and that kind of thing. You know, be careful um, with, with the planet, tread carefully. But um, yeah, it was a really distressing time. And when I was at Mycenae, you could see whether... The hills all around were kind of charcoal black and the trees had gone. Uh, and um, I interviewed many activists over there, I interviewed people from World Wildlife Fund uh, who are fighting to save the forests and do what they can about the forest fires. But it's a real problem there. And it's, it's um, you know, there's no d doubting now that it's brought about by climate change. The, the summers are hotter, they're drier. Um, of course, there's many other reasons, you know, there's out of control development and other things. There's a lot of arson, sadly, but climate change is lurking in the background. And um, I did try and find myths about fires and you know, the, the, the ancient Greeks had, had a few stories about that. Well, they had stories about everything, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Peter, when we come back from the break, I want to I want to dive deeper into uh, you were talking about interviewing some of the activists and some of the people who were there. And, and I really want to find out what your brain, your soul, your, your connection here, really how that kind of turned around the way that you think and the, and the hope that you do have for our future. Yes, um, I look forward to talking about it. Great. Well, this is Marilyn Ball. You're listening to Speaking of Travel. I'm here with Peter Fines, and we're walking through the landscapes of Greece, finding out about mythology and a thing of beauty. And Peter, thank you so much. We'll be right back. It's crisp, it's clean, it's cool, and it's here. Fall is in the air. While the brisk breeze billows through the kaleidoscope of colors cascading across the mountains, there is no better time to get out and explore the breathtaking beauty that our backyard has to offer. Adventure is the name of the game. What better to kick off in than a symmetrical all-wheel drive Subaru to take you through whatever terrain you wish to tackle? Adventure is waiting. The choice is yours. Discover the beauty of all-wheel drive at Prestige Subaru, 585 Tunnel Road, Nashville, or visit us online at PrestigeSubaru.com. Hi, this is Kay. 
At Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours, we put you in the middle of experiencing Asheville like no one else can. With an expert guide by your side, you'll have an all-access pass to what makes Asheville so unique. Our sense of place, history, and awe, along with great food and drinks and spectacular views. We follow safety protocols on every tour. Come experience why TripAdvisor awarded our company the 2020 Traveler's Choice Award, placing us in the top 10% of attractions worldwide. To learn more about us and our award-winning tours, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball, and my guest today is Peter Fines, and he is talking to us about Greece and mythology. And Peter, this is a an absolutely stunning book that you've written. It's a thing of beauty. That makes sense because it truly is. And we were talking before the break about um when you went over there and you were talking to people and give us an idea as you were talking to the people in Greece and you're focused on these myths and Byron and what kind of questions were you asking? What were you really seeking to discover from the people there? Yeah, I suppose the one question I asked everyone was, um, do you have hope for the future? I became very preoccupied by the idea of hope because it's something we all need at the moment, but particularly right now, it just it seemed extremely relevant and everything can seem so desperate. And, and it did for me when I was in the UK in Byron's home. And, and that's kind of what drove me over there was this look for hope. And I became very preoccupied by the myth of Pandora and her box or Pandora's jar. It was really a jar, not a box, because I don't know if you remember, but Pandora is given this jar and she takes it down to humanity and she's told never to open it. And she does, and all the evils of the world flow out. And until that time, there had been no death, disease, and everyone lived very easy lives. And then everything emerged and, and ruined all of that. And uh, except that hope was left in the jar. Although there's different versions of the myth, sometimes hope escapes and spreads among us. Sometimes you have to go looking for hope uh, and you can always find it because it's in the jar. And sometimes you can't get at hope because it's like a prison, the jar, and we have no hope. And then various theories emerged that maybe hope wasn't a good thing at all. Maybe hope is, is a bad thing. You know, if you have, if you find hope is de deflecting you from the real business of the world, it's, you know, it's false hope, I suppose. So I, I became very interested in this myth of hope. And so everyone I met, I asked them, do you have hope for the future? And I got the most wonderful answers from hotel owners, taxi drivers, activists, as I mentioned, um, all sorts of people um, who are fighting to preserve the beauty of Greece because it is stunningly beautiful. And uh, there's one particular region where I went, I finished up in Epirus, which is in the northwest of Greece. It's a mountainous region with the most spectacular uh, gorges and old stone bridges over all those gorges. They're famous for their bridge building. And um, that area is threatened with oil and gas exploration, which seems particularly shocking because it's a national park. And there's these wonderful people there called, they've called themselves the dancing women of Rousseau's who are fighting to save this region. So they gave me hope because um, it's the people that give you hope in the end. Of course, there's lots of people doing things with all, they're very distressing, but they're, the people who are fighting to save these things are, are 
would give us all hope. Well, how would you how would you give us hope? Like you've gone on this journey, you've talked yeah. to all these people, you've got these ideas here in your in your beautiful book, A Thing of Beauty. But give us an idea how we ourselves can live with the idea that there is hope and that we can find it ourselves right here in our own backyards. Yes, I suppose, I, you know, I did travel to Greece to look for hope. I could have stayed in London and looked for hope. And, and uh, it, it, it was through the people. It was through the people I met. But also Greece is, you know, if you can't find beauty and hope in, in Greece, then, then really heaven help you. It is the most staggeringly wonderful place. Uh, and uh, the beaches must be the loveliest in the world. So there's all of that there. And of course, you know, it's easy to go with looking at one eye and thinking, well, look at this plastic pollution or look at this and look at that. There's lots to be upset about, but there are so many people uh, fighting hard to, to reverse what we've done. And, and, full, and also um, all the activists and people who, are, who care about these things that I met, they had a very global view of it. So they weren't saying, oh, we've just got to protect our little corner. They were fighting for that, of course, but they also were very aware that there's no point preserving just this little, this little corner if the rest of the world is not in good health. And I heard that time and again, which was, which was really um, extraordinary and hopeful because um, it, it gave us a view of humanity that was beyond you know, people building walls everywhere. It was all about opening things up in a positive way. And I, and I found that extraordinarily refreshing. Well, as we're coming out of this time, hopefully we're moving beyond the pandemic and we do have challenges with climate change and moving towards a more sustainable world. What would you think, Peter, is something that that perhaps each of us could do in our own way to help with that solution. What did you find there in Greece that people were doing to move it forward, if you will, pay it forward to the whole world? Yes, I mean, I suppose uh, the people I, I met, I'm, I'm gonna mention them again, the Dancing Women of Resource, who are just one small activist group, but they were very inspiring. What, what they are doing, they dress up in traditional Greek costumes and sing protest songs at, at government meetings and annual general meetings and things. And, and it's very effective the way they do it. So that's very hopeful. But I, I mean, in a way, what we can all do is get more engaged because it, of course we need to recycle more and consume less. There, there's a brilliant Greek myth, um, a warning about consuming too much when a, when a Greek prince um, is punished with unassuageable hunger by because he's chopped down a sacred tree and he just can't stop eating and eating until in the end he eats himself, which seemed an awful parable for our times. Uh, of course, there's lots we all should do personally. And in fact, with COP26 on at the moment, there's lots of, you know, there's no shortage of advice. Um, but in the end, you know, it's behaving like citizens that matters as well. You know, engaging with other people, voting for the things you believe in. That's that's what in the end is going to make the difference. Because we, you know, however much we all do individually, we need governments to intervene. Well, Peter, I can't thank you enough for being kind of our ambassador, if you will, to go forth yeah. and especially yeah. during a time when people weren't traveling that much. And it was really something that you had to be passionate about and really wanting to take that conscious risk, if you will, that you're going to go and 
and journey into this uh, into this new realm of of exploring and mm. writing this brilliant book. How can people get more information, get the book, read it, and uh, and learn so many new things about Greece and and the myths that go with it? Well, um, it's hopefully freely available in bookshops everywhere. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at P Finds, and um, uh, it's out in the states, I believe, on the twentieth of November. I think uh, it's towards the end of November, towards the end of this month. Well, I have to say I received a, a copy. Thank you so much, and read through the entire thing in such a quick time because I was so mesmerized by how you were able to bring in these very, very deep emotions that we're all feeling right now, you know, where mm. things are a little bit off balance, they're a little scary, there is so much, uh, if you went that down that rabbit hole, darkness, but you were able to find so much beauty and so much hope and and so many wonderful people and uh, and the words, the way that you describe it is is truly beautiful. So thank you thank so you. much for for doing this for us. Well, well thank you. And, and the Greeks give us hope because it's good to remember that even, you know, all those 500 years ago, they were suffering from the 500 years BC. They were suffering the most terrible plagues themselves. And yet they created this most extraordinary world of architecture and beauty. So, you know, it can always be done. <laughs> Absolutely. And Peter, tell us, why don't you spell your last name? So when people are looking for you, they know that Fines yeah. is spelled a little differently. It's, uh, no one can pronounce it usually, it's, it's F-I-E-N-N-E-S. And what it, what is that namesake well, it's, uh, from? It, I think originally it's it's French, Fien. Is, there's a little village in France called Fien. So it reads French, basically, but it, we've made it sound English. Fines. Well, it works any way you do it. And Peter, I can't thank you enough for being here on Speaking of Travel today and look forward to, to touching base with you again in the future and, and seeing what you're going to be off to next. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about it. Well, thank you, Peter. And, you know, we might not all be able to visit Greece right now, but we can visit a little bit of paradise right here in the North Carolina mountains. And there's no better time to visit the Biltmore State than right now during the holidays. Christmas at Biltmore is a beloved tradition on the estate and dates back to 1895 when George Vanderbilt welcomed his first guest to his new home. And there's so much more going on. Coming up next is Leanne Donnelly. She's a senior public relations manager for Biltmore, and she's going to fill us in. So stay tuned. Travel is on the rise these days, and significant trips require smart financial planning. That's why Home Trust Bank is a valuable investment resource. They're a local, community-focused partner who can help manage your finances so your dream trip can become a reality. Travel light and leave your money worries behind. Connect with your local Home Trust Bank team member or visit htb.com. Home Trust Bank, helping you get ready for what's next. Fall in North Carolina's Blue Ridge Mountains is the perfect time to get out and explore. 
With all the natural wonders and beautiful vistas, now is the time to create your perfect vacation or staycation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com Travel Guide covers a nearly 100-mile radius in and around Asheville, North Carolina. With idyllic weather, beautiful scenery, and a variety of safe and memorable adventures, Western North Carolina is the place to be. Visit RomanticAsheville.com today. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words... Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. Well, ready or not, the holidays are coming up. Kids are already dropping subtle hints about what they want, and they're the first to get the mail and sort it out, looking for the latest toy catalog. Well, there are so many ways to make your family's holiday season more jolly and meaningful, and it's not just reading the night before Christmas on Christmas Eve, or writing a letter to Santa, or watching It's a Wonderful Life. For many, visiting the Biltmore State in Asheville, North Carolina, is a family tradition. They load everyone into the car with a thermos of hot chocolate and treat themselves to the estate's much-loved tradition known as Christmas at Biltmore. And though it might seem early, given the sheer size of the Biltmore house, I mean, there are 250 rooms after all, it really takes some time to get it all ready for the holidays. And here to tell us more about what we can expect this holiday season is Leanne Donnelly, Senior Public Relations Manager at Biltmore. And Leanne, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel. I know there's a lot going on over there these days. Thank you, Marilyn. It's always a pleasure. And yes, there is a lot happening right now. Well, I can't even imagine. Why don't you paint us a picture of these, these finishing touches that are happening over there? Well, uh, right now um, we are in the midst of getting all the all of the rooms ready in Biltmore House, especially the grand banquet hall, which is the centerpiece every holiday season at Biltmore. And that's because it is the largest room in Biltmore House. And because it's the largest, it's the only one that can contain the 35 foot tall Christmas tree that we put in that room every year. So we are getting that ready. It's going to be going in. By the time your listeners hear this, it's probably already up and shining brightly. Every year, our designers create their designs based on a theme. And this year, the theme is Christmas carols. So they have really put some wonderful thought behind that and research. And our guests are going to be able to, to see in the rooms the different ways that they've interpreted some of our most beloved Christmas carols. Well, that's just making me start to hum, Leanne. <laughs> I feel like I, I'm all ready because Caroline, come on. <laughs> I'm telling you, I know I like to wait till Thanksgiving, but sometimes it's hard, especially when you're <laughs> yeah. thinking about this gigantic 3000 plus pound tree. I yes. mean, how many people does it take to even carry that thing through the front door? It takes about 40 people to uh, unload it off of the wagon, and then they have to turn it, and they carry it 
uh, in an organized fashion. They carry it through the front door. And you can imagine that there are things that they need to be careful about, such as priceless antiques, tapestries that date back to the 16th century, and uh, other, other items that Mr. Vanderbilt, George Vanderbilt, collected in his lifetime. They have to be careful to get that tree through the home and into the hall where they're going to put it up. And that's another whole anxiety-inducing kind of process. But the, the teams have been doing this for a number of years, and they have figured out how to do it and do it perfectly. Well, I can tell you, I'm I'm getting a little shaky just thinking about that chandelier. <laughs> What's going to happen to the chandelier? <laughs> there is a, There are two very large chandeliers that hang in the banquet hall. And the folks who are getting that tree up have to swing it around the left side of the chandelier to get it into place. Uh, and so they've got people who are stationed up in the organ loft, which is in the higher, you know, the high part of the room who help lift it up with a system of pulleys and ropes. And they managed to swing it exactly right and get it into position. Wow, there is always so much that has to be taken into consideration. And they've been doing it for so long. Like you said, it's like a a fine art to get that thing in there. And then you start doing the the activities. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of activities going on over there. Let's talk a little bit about what we can expect when we come out and see the house all decked out for the season. Well, in addition to that tree, inside Biltmore, Biltmore House this year, there are 62 hand-decorated Christmas trees throughout the house. And I don't know about you, but I barely have one tree in my house. And while, of course, the tour through the Biltmore House is, is the highlight of many people's trips, you are also encouraged to visit the conservatory where there will be just thousands of poinsettias on display and of all kinds. I had no idea there were so many different types of poinsettias until I started working at Biltmore, and it's just a treat every year. Um, In the village, the Antler Hill Village area, of course, is our winery, and it will also be decorated, and you can try some of our wines that we create on the estate, and also there will be a beautiful illumination in Antler Hill Village as well for our nighttime guests for candlelight Christmas evenings. And that is something that's become larger and larger in the last few years. And one of the most fun things I think to do uh, over in the village at Christmas is to visit the waterfall lights and the bonfire. That has become a really popular spot for selfies and Instagrams and creating those memories that we like to talk about um, for families and people who are just there to enjoy this special time of year. So I always encourage people to, to go over to the village when they're visiting. Oh, well, I, I love going over to the village and there's just something so pleasant being over there on the on the estate grounds and having everything all lit up and illuminated. It, it's very, uh, there's just a sense of, of peace and calm and and even romance a lot of a lot of young couples go over there you get you have a lot of weddings over there right we do um every every weekend probably um we definitely are a really a popular spot for proposals and uh but yes weddings we do um hundreds a year and it's very special location for weddings and even at, at Christmas time, a Christmas time wedding at Biltmore is 
very magical. Oh, gosh, I can only imagine how magical that would be. And Liam, what else is going to be coming up over there during the holidays besides all of the holiday traditions? <laughs> well, this year, I, I tell you, I think we're really knocking it out of the park this year. Not only will the decorations be outstanding, we are going to be kicking off the first of three exhibitions that will be open over the next year uh, is called Van Gogh Alive. And it explores the works and life experiences of Vincent Van Gogh during the period 1880 to 1890. And something about this, is, this, this event is really interesting in that it's synchronized to a classical score. Uh, it, involved, it has more than 3,000 Van Gogh images projected at enormous scale creating a thrilling display. It's going to fill these giant screens, columns, and even the floor. So it really, it completely immerses guests in his work. It's as if you're walking through one of his paintings. So we're really excited to offer that. I think that the combination of the Van Gogh exhibition and Christmas at Biltmore creates a holiday experience like none other. And I, I hope people can make plans and, and to, to come and visit us and take it all in. Wow, that is a lot. And I know that Van Gogh exhibit has been getting rave reviews all over the world. I know I'm going to go. Great. Oh, boy. I know. Well, Leanne, how can people get more information, make plans (laughs) to get over to the Biltmore Estate? Well, as always, we have it all there for you on our website. It's www.biltmore.com. Well, that is easy enough to remember, and I know that everything that you need is going to be right there, and I'm just going to put a big shout out if you're, well, no matter where you live, getting an annual pass over there is really great. I just want to kind of put a shout out because I've had one for at least 20 years, and there's nothing like being able to go over to the estate anytime. Now, I know during the holidays, it could be a little different, but being an annual pass holder rocks. Thank you. We think so, too. It's a great way to... Um, you have access to the estate every single day if you feel like it. <laughs> well, there are many days I feel like it, especially when I can bring my bike. Well, Leanne, thank you again for being on Speaking of Travel, for all the tradition that you and your team, I know you spend a lot of time getting everything ready for us, and, and we just want to tell you how much we love having Biltmore right here in our backyard. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for, for letting us uh, come on and talk about it. All right. Well, thanks, Leanne. You know, it looks like people are going to be coming here from around the world to be part of Biltmore during the holidays. And the Asheville Regional Airport is ready to make our visitors feel right at home. Coming up next is Tina Kinsey to fill us in on how you can best navigate traveling this holiday season. So stay tuned. The Tomb of the Unknown Soldier has been a fixture in our nation's capital and a destination for tourists since 1921. On November 11th, you can celebrate the 100th anniversary of this remarkable monument with a musical tribute to our fallen heroes. Urban Arias, an opera company in Washington, D.C., commissioned brand new songs for this special occasion. The music is by the American composer Sean O'Peblo, and the words are by Marcus Amaker, the poet laureate of Charleston, South Carolina. The musicians are filmed on location in Washington, with the National Mall and the Arlington National Cemetery as scenic backdrops. 
You can watch the global premiere of these dramatic songs streaming on demand at urbanarias.com, November 11th through the 18th. You won't want to miss this special presentation. Free registration at urbanarias.com. That's U-R-B-A-N-A-R-I-A-S dot com, November 11th through 18th. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words Welcome back to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host, Marilyn Ball. You know, I'm receiving a good bit of inquiry lately about holiday travel. There's talk of a massive movement of people on the go in the coming months because really the need to see family and friends, maybe after years, is really pulling them towards airports where they can branch out. And the airports are saying that it's looking like holiday travel is going to be busier than ever. So how are we going to best navigate holiday travel this season? Well, joining me now is Tina Kinsey, our trusted director of marketing, PR, and air service development at the Asheville Airport, who has many, many holiday seasons under her belt. And Tina, thank you so much for being here on Speaking of Travel. It's great as always. Well, Tina, really, you've been there with the airport for a long time. And I'm sure if we put a graph, it would just be like, Higher, 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 growth, 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 year after year after year, a decline in 2020. But just a little, just a little bump. Just bump a little bump. What's happening on the other side of that bump? It's, there's a lot of rumor out there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're really back. Passenger traffic is back. We have recovered here nearly to 2019 levels, definitely the summer beat summer of 2019. We were ahead, you know, so people are traveling and we are bursting at the seams once again. Well, I'll tell you, it's almost like there's an SOS going out from your team. Your newsletter (laughs) that just went out was, hello, all caps, Prearrange. Here are some tips. <laughs> you know, prearrange your ground transportation. And we're just out of October. So, with all these weeks and months ahead, it sounds like planning now is going to be to your advantage, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing a lot of people don't realize is that while you might be ready to travel again and airlines are putting the flights uh, back in place, um, the rest of the travel infrastructure may have changed a little bit um, during the pandemic. And one of the things that happened is that um, ground transportation companies actually contracted. So some of the taxi operators divested some of their vehicles. Um, there aren't as many drivers out there, um, you know, nationally. Uber and Lyft drivers, there aren't as many as we had seen in 2019. And so The ground transportation can be a challenge. It isn't always, but it can be. And so we are advising travelers to get pretty savvy about that and 
pre-arrange your uh, ground transportation. So once you get out of the air and you land and you're on the ground, you know what's next. You know how you're going to get to your next destination. Well, navigation, uh, that seems to be the buzzword of the day, that we all are going to need to learn how to navigate all these new systems, all the protocols. Everything that's going on is going to need to be kind of re-looked at. So it sounds to me that the airport is really committed to helping the passenger know how to navigate, not only getting to the airport, what you need to do when you get there, what the experience is going to be like to make it as easy as possible. Sounds like that's what you all are doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we can't, we don't operate all of these services for travelers, but we certainly want to help be a good liaison to the information that travelers need to, you know, make good decisions. Well, especially because there's so many new airlines also who are stepping up and saying, we see the need and we're going to plug in here so that your community and the communities at large can come in and out of each other's hubs and have a vacation. It sounds like there's a lot of support, not only from the airport end, but also from the airline end. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I think the airlines are just so glad to see demand happening again. It's different demand than prior to the pandemic. Most of the travel that's going on is leisure travel. Business travel is still slower to return. And so leisure markets are doing very well. And guess what? Western North Carolina is a leisure market. So, you know, that's good for us. And we're really excited to see see the excitement of travel return. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to just support your message for people to get prepared to do your do your due diligence and really find out what's going on. And Tina, people can turn to your website for a wealth of information. Tell us how we can all get involved and 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 stay in the loop, especially here in Western North Carolina. Sure. So our website is flyavl.com. And I like to encourage people to sign up for our e-newsletter. We only send it out once a month and we try to include meaningful information that is helpful for you as a traveler. Some of it's more local information and some is more, um, you know, national travel information. You know, we do try to be a good, a good connector with our customers with meaningful information like that. It's called Window Seat, and you can sign up right on our homepage at flyavl.com. Well, Tina, I can't thank you enough for keeping us up to date on what's going on because really we have to be in the know. Otherwise, it's going to make people grumpy, right? I mean, everybody yeah. wants to have a good time. They're going on their on their vacation, perhaps, or going to visit people. And I just wanted to shout out again something that we've talked about in the past, but just how much fun it really is to be at the Asheville Regional Airport. You've always got fun things going on, and people seem to really settle in and, and enjoy their stay there. Yeah, we, we do seem to have some happy travelers. And again, we're a leisure market, so a lot of folks in our airport are on vacation. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> there are you always know. a lot of smiles. Well, Tina, thank yeah. you again for being on Speaking of Travel, and we'll look forward to keeping up and finding out what's happening so that we too can stay abreast of the, the new trends, if you will. Great. Thanks, Marilyn. Well, thanks, Tina, and thanks to Peter and Leanne for being on Speaking of Travel this week. I've been doing a lot of thinking these days about when the people of the world are going to be able to go on vacations again. I found that there's a lot going on in preparing for 2022. In fact, many experts are weighing in on when, if ever, the travel industry will return to, quote, normal, unquote. So what will the future hold? We can only follow what's unfolding every day and stay in touch with the current trends and make our plans accordingly. The time we've had of pause travel has provided us with a gift to dream bigger than ever and to consider how we can travel more responsibly and mindfully when we do get out there again. Travel is going to be different and recovery will take time. And right now we're seeing recovering in stages, but we're ready to go. Make sure your passport is current. Keep your mask handy. They're not going away anytime soon. Do your research and make your bucket list now and then make a plan to make the first one on your list the place you're going to go first. And trust me, the planners are out there offering up plans. So start looking around even for 2023. You're going to be glad you did. Make that dream happen and stay well. Because remember, life is short. Don't postpone joy. Run.